Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Happy New Year. Feliz Año Nuevo to all of our Spanish-speaking listeners. This is the Coast to Coast on InsideCarolina.com. Yo soy Joey Powell. Appreciate you guys being here. Appreciate you listening. If you have not, rate, review us. But as usual, it's the Coast to Coast with Sean Moran and Sheryl McMillan brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. All right, all right. Good stuff to talk about tonight here as we record on Sunday evening, January the 2nd. Just a few hours ago, the Tar Heels looked good after a great long layoff due to COVID and other things getting canceled. Went up to Chestnut Hill, got a 91 to 65 win over the Boston College Eagles and their new coach, who I watched him today and still can't remember his name. It's Earl something or another. Um, but this is an inside Carolina, North Carolina centric podcast. So I'm not going to give myself any lashes for that, but let's bring in the two guys who always have the info, who always have the insight and who are here to analyze that, which needs analysis. Sean Moran, how are you? Doing well. Awesome. Sherelle McMillan, how you feeling? I've been better, but I'm here. Hey, he's here. That's, that's all that matters, man. You guys are here. You always show up on game day. And boys, speaking of people who showed up on game day today, I think that Tar Heel Nation has to be happy with the effort that was given today against Boston College at the Conti Forum. After a heck of a layoff, uh, Tar Heels had not played since the Appalachian State game, which we talked about, which seemed like eons ago on this here podcast. Uh, hadn't played since the 22nd, I believe, 21st or 22nd. And today just came out with a 26-point win over Boston College, which is their largest uh, margin of the year. Had four guys that scored 17 or more points. You can't complain about that. Armando Baycott is once again a double-double machine with 18-11. Uh, BC shot 16.7% from the floor in the first half. Not going to spend a ton of time talking about Boston College, but I want to caveat this episode saying I don't <laughs> think Boston College is going to win the national championship. Um, they ended up shooting 31% for the game. I felt like for a while the Eagles couldn't throw it in the ocean. Uh, Tar Heels started off rather sluggish, which I think you would expect to see uh, when you've had a layoff the way they have. Uh, but they ended up shooting 59% from the floor in the second half, which is their seventh straight game over 50 in the second half. I think that means Hubert Davis and staff are making some adjustments. Um, we'll go back to that in a second. A couple other things I want to add. Uh, 11 three-pointers made. Great shooting from outside. They shot 47.8% from outside of the arc. And then the youngins. DeMarco Dunn and Dontrez Styles both get into the scorebook with six and four, respectively. Guys, uh, again, not going to get too excited based on who the opponent was, but I think if you just focus on North Carolina and probably what Hubert Davis and his staff wanted to do today, you have to be happy with the results. Sean? Definitely agree. Um, you know, I think the first uh, four minutes were, were a little worrisome, but uh, <laughs> once again, as, as you said, it, it had been a long, a long layoff uh, for them, obviously a longer one for, 
for BC, uh, but after our, you know they went down to Armando in the post, uh, that, that really kind of jump started everything. Um, obviously, B BC kind of going in, you had the expectation that hey, they they are one of the worst teams in the ACC. Uh, they're, they're basically a, a mid-major team uh, playing in the conference, but at the same time, UNC has played mid-major teams and not looked that great. Um, so this one was nice to see how how well they played uh, on a points per possession. It was their second best offensive game this year. But, you know, Joey, the stats you just rattled off, uh, you know, close to 50% from the three-point line, uh, almost perfect from the foul line, uh, rarely turned the ball over uh, and had those, as you mentioned, the four players scoring uh, at a good clip. Um, you know, I think, once again, we've talked about Armando and, and Brady and how well they've been playing together. Uh, but, you know, the eye test bears it out, the stats bear it out. And, you know, even when, when Brady got in today, I thought that kind of jump-started things a little bit in terms of just, once again, the ball movement uh, and how quickly he does does move it and the ability for him to make kind of that that extra pass. Um, and in my head, I'm thinking when he had an assist to Armando and then he made just kind of a little side pass to Kerwin uh, yep. for a three. So, yep. you know, overall, once again, you can't take a lot away from beating BC, but at the same time, it was a seven point spread. They, they crushed that and they, they look good doing it. So, you know, a, a lot of positives to, to take away from, from this one game. Well, and you know, from a fan base who's kind of been riddled with angst over not just basketball, but football, I, I think it is good to get some positives off the court and out of that result today. Uh, it did feel like, and you're talking about ball movement. So I want to go there first. It did feel like between that, under 16 timeout to the under 12 or about 10 minutes left to go in the first half that they kind of got out of their doldrums, shook off the rust and really started not just moving the ball well, but their player rotations without the ball were really good. Sherelle, do you think that was something that maybe Hubert Davis and the staff worked on over this long layoff? I'd imagine so. It was probably a little bit of a, you know, during the bye week in football, they say, oh, we went back to training camp. and <laughs> We worked on we us. Went, we worked on <laughs> us. We went back to fundamentals. We self-scouted and, you know, we worked on tackling. I, I would imagine that there was a bit of that for UNC. Um, and then just the, the guys having a chance to get away from basketball. Hebert Davis has done a few interviews where he talked about that and just get their energy back get their composure back. So I imagine it was a point of emphasis, um, you know, uh, again, to use a Royism. Uh, everything looks better when the ball's going in the basket. Mm -hmm. So um, the passing and the spacing and the movement, I'm sure looked good because they were making their shots. That was the most mm -hmm. important thing. And, uh, you know, moving forward, I, I think it's something that it will try to continue. But again, you know, Boston College wasn't the best competition. Um, but I do like the fact that the things you can take away from the game, you know, 17 assists on 21 made field goals is, mm -hmm. is tremendous. That's the way you want to play that you're getting open shots. You're being unselfish, which for this team has been a, a little bit of an issue, maybe not selfish in a bad way, but selfish. in I think what I can do can help the team at this moment. Whereas that extra pass and the one you mentioned uh, from Brady Manick to Corwin Walton was a perfect example. No one would have been upset at all if Manic took that shot, but he thought better of it and got a better shot. So mm -hmm. again, learning to go from, you know, good shot to great shot is important. I think this team is starting to do that over the last few games. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, uh, you know, just the way that the guards were able to pick their spots, I felt much more comfortable with them as point guards in this game than mm -hmm. maybe I have, um, you know, this entire season, really, uh, because they knew that they had such an advantage inside with Armando and, and with 
uh, manic that they were going to try and make sure they got on the ball. So between those things, I, I think you can take that away is that they're continuing to progress, that the ball movement is getting better. The defensive intensity was there. And outside of those first four minutes, they didn't feel sleepy or they didn't feel like the effort or the toughness or anything like that wasn't there. Um, obviously, you know, Dar- Garcia is is in there going for a loose ball and gets knocked on the head. So, you know, the effort was definitely there. You hope he's okay. But I think that's the biggest thing for UNC is the toughness, the energy, and the effort. And those were there from the beginning. And usually if you take care of those three things, then I think the basketball stuff takes care of itself. We've spoken about it before on this show about how good this team looks when both Caleb and RJ are being effective on offense. And, yeah, they got their buckets today. I mean, Caleb had, you know, what seemed like he had 20 with – 15 minutes ago in the game. Um, but I also want to point out that those guys, and I don't know if this was a product of the spacing or if it was just maybe uh, a result of everybody being engaged that there wasn't a lot of standing around, but those guys were probing in the right spots today. Like if you saw when they were attacking the rim or when they were attacking the Boston College defense, they were going uh, to the places where you usually find weaknesses uh, against the Boston College defense. They did a great job of that today, getting layups. But more importantly, and Cheryl, I want to come to you here. You saw a guy like Caleb Love. You saw Leaky Black do it a lot today. You saw Kerwin Walton do it a few times where they would actually drive into the teeth of defense of the defense and kick it back out for a really good-looking open three-pointer. That's the type of drive and dish that has killed North Carolina for so many years. Do you think that this is actually uh, the worm turning? Is it North Carolina <laughs> – uh, modernizing itself, or is it just exploiting the talents that they have in the places that they have them right now? I, I think it's both. Um, Caleb Love, we talked about um, his length allows and his, his athleticism as well, but they allow him to to get into the lane. And there was a couple of times, I think the announcer pointed it out, where he got deep into the lane and kicked out for open shots. The yep. one I'm really thinking about in the first half was to Anthony Harris. And I think ideally, and, you know, maybe that is Walton <laughs> or, or maybe that's RJ. But, you know, here nor there, uh, Harris has shown he can knock that shot down. But it was just a mature decision because he could have forced it. And I think last year he would have forced it, uh, you know, a little runner. But he kicked it out to somebody wide open. There was no one within, you know, six or seven feet of Anthony Harris. And he just missed the shot. But that was a great play. Um, and, you know, RJ Davis did some of the th- same things. Leaky Black did some of the same things. So um, it, it seems like <clears throat> they really made it a, a point of emphasis on that, that dish and kick. Um, additionally, I think, <laughs> you know, it definitely has killed UNC in the past, but th- that's why this game was so weird to me because everything that has happened to UNC defensively when they've struggled mm-hmm. is exactly what BC allowed. I mean, Caleb Love was just going to the lane, just, you know, easy layup here. RJ Davis was getting in for easy layups. I, I think, uh, I think it was either Don Trez or DeMarco Dunn had a very easy layup where, mm-hmm. you know, the guys rotated over late. Dumb uh, help so- fouls. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of dumb help fouls that, right. that I think North Carolina fans and people listening to this show will recognize having been a symptom right. of this team in the past. Yeah, keep right. Going. And and they get they got Manic going there in the second half as well. Or I don't know sure if it's the second half or the first half. There's so many points. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think what you're seeing is kind of how Hubert Davis wants to play. You have Armando Baycott on the inside, who's absolutely dominant, and then you have guards with plenty of space to drive and make the decision whether they want to go all the way to the rim or they want to kick it out to the open shooters and the guys are knocking down their shots. So this was definitely the blueprint. Again, not a great team, but, I mean, you can't take it away from them because this is a team who beat Notre Dame, mm-hmm. um, and it was on the road, and it was postponed, um, and it, you know, uh, it's kind of an odd time. So uh, I, I give UNC a ton of credit for this one. 
Sean, what can the Tar Heels do to replicate this in games going forward where maybe the, the league competition is better than Boston College, right? I think we're still trying to figure out who's going to be good in the ACC. I think right now Miami's at the top of the league as we record this on January the 2nd. But how can the Tar Heels replicate what they did today against a team that may be better or more athletic or to uh, I'm going to follow Rel's example and use a Royism, maybe more gifted than what they saw today in Chestnut Hill. Yeah, I mean, they'll definitely be be playing, you know, increased competition. But, you know, at the end of our last podcast last week, we said, you know, will we ever stop asking the question, you know, about how will they perform? You know, have, have they kind of have has everything clicked and it clicked today. But once again, you know, on the road at Notre Dame, um, you know, they do have some talented players. So and they did beat Kentucky uh, and, and then UVA. UVA is struggling, but they just had a big win at Syracuse and, you know, maybe they're putting things together. Um, but what can they, they do? I mean, I think once again, offensively, we know this is a very talented team. Uh, and I, I think, you know, even coming into this year, there is still a lot of new pieces. Uh, sure. You had players returning, but you, you did still have to integrate uh, Manic and Garcia and, and just different roles and responsibilities. And I think, you know, right now things are starting to, to click a little bit more offensively. Um, you know, I think the, the players are also starting to kind of find, you know, identify and find the roles that they are supposed to supposed to play. Um, so, you know, really today you see RJ Davis, I think he only had uh, what five, you know, five shots uh, where he hit all of them. But, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in the year, we were talking about how, how he would force the issue a lot. And I think, you know, really what they can take away and what they can do, no matter what the level of the competition is continue to move the ball and, and take good shots and, and trust in your teammates. Um, you know, similar to what Sherelle was saying earlier. And then defensively, obviously that's kind of been, been the struggles and you can, you can look at the rankings and uh, you know, they're kind of, I think in Kempom, you know, around eight, in the eighties right now. So obviously not, not great by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of that can be offset by uh, you know, just the energy that they're playing with and the focus and at the same time, we have seen Hubert, um, you know, almost adapt a little bit game by game offensively and defensively in terms of, you know, offensively, maybe it's a quick hitter for, you know, Kerwin against App State or Brady uh, this game and defensively in terms of, uh, you know, how they're guarding the pick and roll um, as, as that has looked a lot improved from from earlier in the year. So a lot of different different ways, but excited to see if they can carry that over into another into another road game i'd add too that uh moving forward just continue to get the ball inside good things happen when you get the ball to armando Bacot, who is playing you know first team all acc level i'd say close to all american level maybe not second or first team but you know some kind of all american team he's playing that well right now rebounding uh he had i think he had a block or two um really efficient hit a three hit another jump shot so really, you know, offensively, uh, he's playing as well as anyone. So, you know, play through him, get him the ball. And if, you know, he doesn't score or get fouled, give him the ball again in the next possession. Maybe he passes it out for open three, but good things will keep happening if you get him the ball. So that, that's the other thing I would say, Joey, that kind of travels no matter who you're playing is yeah. that, um, you know, outside of maybe Mark Williams defensively, I don't know if there's anybody in the conference who can handle Baycott. That's a good and point. I, and I don't know if Mark Williams can. I'm not saying he can, but he's the first name who came to mind. And someone sure. might be able to. Sure. Uh, one more thing I want to get from each one of you before we move on. 
uh, what was the number one positive you took out of this game? Again, I'm, go- I'm going back to trying to, you know, I, I don't want to just have this like full saccharine, uh, really, you know, sugar fest, but there's not a lot to nitpick about this game, especially considering how blah or meh the team has been earlier this year. So I'll let you at least, uh, I'll let you each kind of give your one best thing that happened today. Uh, maybe that won't be today specific. Sean. Uh, the, I mean, one, the ball movement, just because that's been something we've, we've harped on, but uh, two is kind of, you know, in the second half, you go into the end of the half, you have a huge, a huge lead. It's only natural to, you know, probably not have as much focus or yeah. or effort, you know, right off the bat. And you did see BC get, get some early points, but uh, kind of having Caleb uh, love answer with, you know, those three pointers that he was hitting uh, as well as some of the other baskets uh, by Armando and others to just to kind of begin another uh, new run in itself. And, you know, really over the, you know, the two and a half years, you, you failed to see a lot of big UNC runs, which used to always be a staple of, of a UNC basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, r- really that, that set part in, in the second half where UNC kind of went on their first second half run and Caleb Love was, was hitting shots. So for me, that's, that's kind of, you know, the, the number one thing that sticks out. Sure. I'll ask you the same question before we, uh, before we wrap this specific game up. Yeah, I would say it's a road win on the ACC, in the ACC. Um, no matter how bad the teams are, road wins in the ACC are tough. No matter how much the league is struggling, no matter who's out with COVID, no matter how few stars the team has or whatever, if you can go into somebody else's place and be up, you know, almost 40 at points in the game, then you're doing something well. And North Carolina is already 2-0 and on the road in the ACC, so it's not like they're almost a third of the way done with their road ACC schedule, and they've only played, you know, they'll have their third game this week. So if they can get a win at Notre Dame, I mean, that is starting 3-0 and on the road in the ACC is, is huge, I think, for the confidence of the team. Um, so let me back up. Starting 2-0 in the ACC uh, on the road is huge for the confidence of the team. I think you could see that start to spiral if they're cont- able to continue uh, to win on the road. Yeah, and you can make momentum that way. I mean, you do your work early. And uh, to your point, I think it, at least with today, you know they've done that twice between this and the Georgia Tech game. Uh, next game, at Notre Dame, Wednesday, 9 p.m. Not sure what Notre Dame's COVID situation is. Uh, I know UNC was dealing with that with Justin McCoy today. So remains to be seen. But as of right now, as we're recording this, uh, they are scheduled to play at Notre Dame in South Bend Wednesday at 9 p.m. Guys, uh, real, real quick, I want to uh, follow this up with saying, hey, this is the first show of the new year. For folks that have not rated or reviewed us, please do so. It really helps when we do that. Um, and, and Shrill, I know you're a big fan of uh, cliches and really um, worn out phrases that you see on social media. So uh, it's a new year. What about a new you? What about if I modify it and say new year, new gear? And then I talk about Johnny T-shirt. How does that work? I like it. You like it? All right. JohnnyT-shirt.com. Listen, I said it last time. I said it on the radio show the other day. Not everybody has great gift givers in their life. You've gotten through the hubbub of the holidays. You've kind of gone through and taken an inventory of the stuff that you got. All the trash and the papers have been put away. And now you're stuck with this really, really awful uh, set of pleated shorts that your Aunt Hilda knitted for you. You don't want those. Get rid of them. You know, set them ablaze. 
tuck them somewhere where you won't have to see them again, then run out to Johnny T-Shirt and get you some stuff that you really want. JohnnyT-Shirt.com right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill if you'd like to stop in. If you're up in town for a game or something, or if you're dropping your kids back off for second semester, run a Johnny T-Shirt, get yourself some gear, replace that really bad gift that Aunt Hilda gave you. Uh, JohnnyT-Shirt.com is a great place to get your gear. Uh, spring sports are starting back very soon. They'll have all of the baseball, uh, you know, baseball, women's lacrosse, men, I'm sorry, lacrosse or field hockey that's in the spring. Whichever one's in the spring, they got the gear. The one that's in the fall, they got the gear for that too. Go to Johnny T-Shirt. Inside Carolina premium subscribers know you get an extra 10% off of their already amazing prices. Just use the code on the premium message boards, johnnytshirt.com. They are your friends. They're our friends. Let's all shop there and be friends. Uh, stick around for a second. We're going to let the national guys run some ads. We'll be right back to talk a little recruiting and what's going on in Tar Heel basketball world. Stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I am Joey Powell. With me as always, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. The guys are bringing the knowledge and the analysis that you crave and that you seek when you listen to this here pod. Boys, uh, Sherelle, I know you spent a great portion of last week uh, down in Colatown, Sacramento watching some Chick-fil-A ball, and as much as I wish that was actually people shooting nuggets into a hoop, you were actually watching real basketball, and you got to see uh, North Carolina's number one target in Mr. Gigi Jackson. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and kind of how you felt about, about his performances? We should have like an announcement. It's like the Gigi Jackson portion of yes. the podcast. And I could get like, somebody to like put us a banner at the bottom, yeah, like yeah. You know, flashing lights. The, no, I'm the, with you. The breaking news, Gigi Jackson, we're, we're about to talk about him. Uh, he was, he was solid. So the first game uh, he was playing against prolific prep, who is essentially a college team. Um, it's, you know, uh, a, a bunch of big guys. It, it is a college size front line, MJ Rice, uh, Dean Bona. I mean, just a, a ton of guys who, have size and speed and then you're comparing that to public school in columbia south carolina so they were outmatched from that standpoint as far as size and athleticism and skill but they they hung in there for a while and i think you know gg obviously was a big part of that the game plan for uh ridgeview uh, which is where jackson plays was really to use his perimeter skill uh to try and lure out their big guys and then let him either drive around them or pull up for jump shots and it worked for a little bit he came out immediately hit his first two jumpers they were just inside the three-point line um pull-ups from the left side of of the lane uh looked really good i mean his ball handling from may until now has come a long long way i mean he looks not just competent but you know a solid ball handler um at six nine and a half six ten I still think he is a four in college, but he played much more like a three in that particular game. Mm-hmm. Um, the one area, and and I'll I'll say that you know we saw that game, and then I couldn't stay for an extra night. Travis Branham, twenty four seven national recruiting analyst, saw him the next night um, against a pro- prolific prep. He just didn't rebound well, didn't really attempt to rebound, and again, it's probably because of the size that they had. 
Um, but the next night, I think he had like 14. So I had said rebounding was a concern based upon that viewing. But the next night, he played really well, had a couple of chase down blocks. And I think the consensus is, is that um, this kid is not only top 10, not only top five, but there's a lot of growing momentum for him to be the top overall player in the class of 2023. And, you know, North Carolina hasn't landed that type of player. You know, you know, it's really Cole Anthony was, I guess, Nasir Little was number three in the class and Cole Anthony was a top 10 player as well. Last one who was number one by some services was Terrace and Barnes. And that has been over a decade ago, um, you know, 13 years ago when he signed. So uh, just a tremendous opportunity for UNC. Um, Sean May was down in Columbia for the event. He did not watch Gigi's game, however, um, but he was there, you know, looking at a couple of other people. But I was really impressed by Jackson just because of the ball handling, the perimeter skill that wasn't shown much in AU because of who he played with and how that particular team played, but he definitely has that skill set. Well, it's, uh, you know, again, anytime you start talking about uh, top five, top one in his class, you know, our listeners' ears are going to pop up. And it's just, it's, it's insane to consider that uh, UNC has a good shot with a, a player of that caliber, but um, it, it's also rather intriguing to hear you talk about how his game continues to evolve. Uh, also, this past week, uh, Coach Hubert Davis spent some time when they were not having games and went and saw uh, Mattis Bazalis, who we've talked about briefly here on the show before, uh, Brewster Academy player. Uh, he's I've seen him listed as everything from a, a point guard <laughs> to a forward to a you know partridge in a pear tree, but 6'9", 175, a little slight of weight, but, you know, just really kind of defines what our generation came to know as the European game. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, about his game, Sean? Yeah, and he, he's a guy that we really haven't talked about a whole lot uh, since he was offered uh, back when I think UNC offered three, you know, three wings slash, you know, three fours right, right in a row. Um, and at the time he was ranked, I believe, around 46. 46 by 24 um, seven mm-hmm. obviously saw kind of a, a rapid, rapid rise. And, you know, even though he's grown up in, in the U S and uh, in the Chicago suburbs, uh, as you mentioned, Joey, definitely kind of that European flair in terms of his size, but kind of, you know, he's long, he's really skilled, uh, you know, very, really good with the ball in his hands, kind of in the triple threat position and, and straight line drives to the basket, a good shooter from, from the outside. Uh, I think for him, it's really just kind of getting, getting stronger, uh, you know, over really the next year and a half or so, but in terms of just pure skill and fluidity, uh, you know, he he definitely, there's a reason why he's so highly ranked right Mm -hmm. now, but uh, you know, it's interesting with Hubert watching him, obviously the the thing we always talk about is, you know, can, can they get him on campus, uh, especially given some of the other, the other competition for him. Uh, so I think it's a positive sign that uh, UNC is still, you know, in the mix, but, you know, will they be able to get him for a visit? I think will be the, will be the big question. Yeah, that's he, definitely always the next step. Go ahead, Sherelle. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, and he was 20, 25 miles from Carolina's campus and then go by. That's usually a telltale sign. I, I won't say that it's the end of the recruitment, but typically guys who come, to North Carolina for whatever reason, find a way if they're interested to, to take an unofficial visit to UNC. Sean, you had something you wanted to, uh, oh, you wanted to ask well, your, well, your, your partner. Well, I was actually going to go back to, to Gigi. Um, 
just since I know it's always, uh, you know, much, much better to get eyes on people in person than, you know, the highlight videos or, or video. Uh, I know the 2023 class is a little bit down in terms of kind of the, the top tier talent, but, uh, you know, Sherelle, do you see him as kind of a number one top five, like, you know, when you watch him play, does that kind of jump out to you or is it more kind of the potential given his size and, and current skill set? I'm, I'm probably about halfway there uh, because the way he came out, you know, the first quarter, you're like, okay, I see why this kid could be the number one <laughs> pick in the draft, could be number one overall. I mean, it was catch the ball on the right wing, kind of, you know, some, some fancy dribbling between the legs, crossover, pull-up jumper. I mean, it was a – you always talk about pro moves. It was an absolute pro move. And then he did the same thing on the next possession. And the guy he did it against isn't some, you know, stiff from – a random school. I mean, he's, he's committed to UCLA. He's one of the top, uh, you know, post players, big, big guys in the class. Um, so that impressed me. But then I think you started to see the lack of talent around him, maybe impact him a little bit. And he started to press and try to do too much. And that's when things started going downhill, but talent wise, I mean, I, I, yeah, I think he can have that kind of impact, even if you don't uh, run stuff for him, which I, I think a good coach still would, even if you don't, he's going to find a way to get his, you know, 12 and eight per game or 14 and six or whatever it might be. So I think he's close to beginning to realize that potential. So I, I would say I'm kind of halfway there, like half, like, yeah, I see it. And half is, oh, he's going to get there in, in a little bit. Cause even his, his three point shot looks good. I mean, it doesn't look bad at all. It doesn't look forced. It doesn't look awkward. It doesn't look like he's, um, you know, just trying to show it off uh, and say, Hey, look at me. I can shoot some threes. Like he actually wants, to be a good three-point shooter. So you can see the work that he's put in. I would be remiss if I did not give a shout-out to Prolific Prep as one of the all-time great names of a of a basketball organization. Uh, I know we always talk about AAU team names here, but uh, Prolific Prep as a prep school is right up there as well. So I want to make sure we, we give a nod to that. And Sherelle, uh, you want to give us a couple of updates of where Sean May was. It sounds like he saw uh, 23 class Dennis Parker and then also saw a uh, class of 24 member Trenton Flowers, you know, talk about those uh, those guys really quickly. Yeah, so I, I think the the Parker viewing was more of a of a monitoring. You kind of see where he's at right now. Um, he's not someone that's really on the radar, but it doesn't hurt to take a look, especially for someone who's kind of in the I was I would say local area. I say local in parentheses because um, in air quotes because he's from Richmond. So someone who's not from far away, but is an area they typically recruit Baycott. Um, Ed Davis, uh, Kenny Williams, all from that area. So he was solid. I, I think he has the, the makings of, of a pretty good shooter, kind of a three and D guy. Uh, I think his ball handling still needs to improve. And um, overall strength is usually an issue for uh, guys like him who are three and D you can shoot, but he's got college, I think college size already. So he's got that going for him. Uh, just need to see more. He's someone they'll probably monitor over the next few months and, depending on what they need in 2023, if he hasn't committed, they'll, you know, circle back and, and we'll see where it goes. I think it was uh, a great, a great second tenor for the stylistics too. Just a big, <laughs> big, big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, and Trenton Flowers. Uh, so he is a six, eight uh, wing from Huntington prep. And um, when we saw him, it wasn't his best game. Uh, he said he had some flu-like symptoms before and that he was kind of still recovering from that. Uh, but uh, Travis has seen him play really well. Eric Bossy, 24-7's national director of recruiting, has seen him play really well. And I see why they're intrigued, even if we didn't see him play well in person. Um, very athletic, 
um, wants to handle the ball a little bit more than I think he's capable of right now. That's an area of improvement. I think he's a decent shooter as well, and he's got plus length. So add all those together, um, and, and you get a player who I think has a lot of potential, has a ton of offers. Uh, most of this is SEC has already offered a couple of schools in the ACC. Um, he wanted to stop by UNC and visit uh, this past weekend, but the scheduling didn't quite work out because UNC was trying to get up to Boston and had to change some things, and so it didn't quite work. Um, but he, he still plans to try and take a, a trip to UNC at some point uh, in the near future. All right, and last recruiting question before we do our final thoughts and get out of here. Sean, we're starting to see a little bit of trending now where there hasn't been a ton of activity. The season's gotten started. Uh, how do you think the next few months play out with regard to identifying talent, uh, staff seeing talent, you know, maybe doling out offers? Do you have any kind of feel or a pulse on what that might look like? That's uh, a, a great question. And I think, you know, in, in terms of, of where things stand, obviously the, the Wiltshire uh, commitment early on was, was a big win for, for UNC and, you know, they've, they've kind of been putting all their eggs in the GG basket. Uh, but I think with, you know, what Sherelle was talking about and, and some of the trips they've made, they're starting to kind of cast their net a little bit wider, uh, you know, in kind of that 23, 23 class as to who, uh, you know, who could be coming, you know, coming down the pipeline in terms of next offers. Um, and once again, we're, I think we're still getting familiar with how this stuff or how the staff likes to, likes to do things. Uh, but Usually this, you know, this time before the ACC allows the coaching staff to get out and see some of the players uh, before things really kick into gear. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how they kind of mix in maybe a few more, a few more visits uh, throughout ACC, ACC play. Um, and then I think that'll give clues to, to who are they really looking at in those kind of next, next two classes. will be interesting to watch over the next few weeks and months, I'm sure. And, as always, you know, you guys will have the insight when it is there to share with our, our listeners and viewers. All right, boys, before we get out of here, anything else you want to add that we did not touch on, Sherelle? Uh, so Will Shaver, we reported a couple of weeks ago, you know, he's or not reported, but he was scheduled to be on campus uh, last week. That got pushed back to this week and he arrived on New Year's Day, I believe. So probably would look for something from UNC in official capacity here in the next day or so saying, you know, he's in in the program he's enrolled he cannot travel with them on the road until classes start so mm -hmm. don't expect to expect to see him on the bench against notre dame i think the first time the public will see him is next weekend against U uva and as a reminder he was a member of the class of 2022 signed with unc in november is enrolling early will redshirt this year so he will not play this year um, but a chance to get in get used to class practice against really good bigs He'll be a redshirt freshman uh, beginning next year and have four years of eligibility. All right. I appreciate that update. And I'm sure it'll take care of uh, the thousand questions that will be thrown out about the, the Dean Dome the first time he, he shows up and warm ups on the bench and everybody wants to know who that guy is. Well, Sherelle just told you. Sean, you got anything else you want to tack on before we, uh, we put a nice, nice little finish on the show? No, I mean, I think, you know, this, we, we thought last week would be really important with Virginia Tech uh, coming to Chapel Hill, but this week with at Notre Dame and, and UVA. So once again, two teams that uh, currently ranked are, are not going to move the needle a whole lot. But in terms of uh, talent, I think both teams have, you know, have quality teams. Uh, so I think 
this will be a really big test for UNC in terms of, of their talent level as well as energy and focus uh, with both a road game and a home game. Well, and if nothing else, it's a great test against some other great coaches for Hubert Davis. Uh, and to, to you guys' point from earlier, bank the wins where you can get them. But we're going to bank this episode, and we're going to put a nice wrap-up on it, let John Siegley do his production magic, and it will be out into all of our listeners' and subscribers' feeds here very soon. But once again, if you are not subscribed, please make that happen, uh, whether you're checking us out on YouTube or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you consume this here podcast, make sure you're subscribed. And then do us a new year favor and go rate and review us. Let us know what you think. Let us know what we're doing great, what we're doing poorly, and, and we'll make sure that we're we're trying to always be better. Guys, every day we're going to work on ourselves and we're going to make this podcast better. Whether we got a game this week or not, we're going to make ourselves better. But I appreciate these two guys dragging me along as usual. Sean Moran, Sheryl McMillan. Uh, going to say goodbye for those guys. I'm just Joey Powell. We will catch you guys next time on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.